0: Thank you. All right. Thank you, ladies. Um, hey, can you turn to someone next to you and say, I need you? Can you say that? I need you. Can you say that out loud? I need you. We are three strands. I need you, my friend, my brother, my sister. And then can you turn to someone else and say, Let's pray. <laughs> Let's pray. Uh. Welcome, uh, thanks for being the church and for bringing it into this room and into um, your wherever you're worshiping, for, uh, worshiping from. If you're worshiping online, uh, such a blessing and privilege to have uh, the ability to worship in this way with people around, I don't know where people are watching from, but um, thank you so much for, uh, for, uh, yeah, for worshiping along with us, uh, both physically as well as uh, in this online, uh, online worship environment as well. Uh, we are... Um, continually studying the book of Proverbs, Manny, was, my 11-year-old daughter, was looking at my, uh, at my sermon as I was typing away, and she's like, you're still going through Proverbs? I was like, yeah, we're, we're still in Proverbs because there are many areas of our lives where uh, we still need the wisdom of God to touch us. Amen? All right. Good, good. Uh, I remember, uh, gosh, it must have been about 15, 16 years ago now, the first time I set foot into a counseling clinic. I remember being there and the kind of the, the impetus was uh, in the seminary there I was being trained and learning uh, what it means to, to study the Word of God and to be a pastor. Uh, our professors told us um, if you're going to be involved in the care of souls you need to be able to care for your own soul. You need to be able to look into yourself need to be able to walk through the brokenness and the baggage in order to work through that in the lives of other people. And so with that thought in mind, some things happened in my life and some things happened in ministry, some things that I just didn't have answers for. And so that drove me to sit in my uh, counselor's office and to just begin to unpack some of the things that were going on in my life. And I remember uh, driving home after that first session saying, man, you know, my life isn't so crazy. Like I've got, um, I've got uh, a normal family. Uh, At the time, I was single, but I I don't come from a dysfunctional family, I don't think. There was no, like, crazy things that happened, no deep trauma. So I was like, I'm going to be in and out of here in about, I don't know, maybe about four weeks or so. Uh, several months later, <laughs> those months turned into a couple years, uh, more than a couple years. But, but months later, I remember sitting there and I was like bawling my eyes out talking about all of the, uh, the, the, the brokenness and the baggage that had come from my relationship with my family. And I remember thinking to myself, even though I've got uh, two parents who raised me in the church, I have a brother who loves me, I've got people who care for me in my life, um, there are a lot of things that happened in my life Uh, That I had no idea how profoundly and how deeply they shaped me, the way that I saw life, the way that I saw people, the way that I saw myself, the way that I viewed the world in which we live, uh, the ways in which I interacted with with things, the habits that I had, uh, things that were said to me and things that were not said to me, how deeply they impacted the way that I lived. Things that were done to me and things that I did, things that were not done to me and things that I didn't do, and how deeply they began to, or how deeply they were shaping the person that I had become, either knowingly or unknowingly. And I began to realize what so many people know, uh, what you all know, is how much of an impact um, our family and our relationships have on us for the blessing and for the betterment of a person, or for worse... And as I was going through that time, I began to realize, wow, you know, even though well-meaning things, well-intentioned things um, were, uh, were, were done, a lot of times the way that we interpret those things are not so great. Um, today, I want to talk about um, the family unit. And, I, you know, it's a little bit tricky being in this intergenerational context where um, probably like... I don't know. uh, uh, Some percentage of us are parents. Some percentage of us are not. Um, Some have parents. Some do not. Um, So it's 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 difficult to know that every single person is going to um, fall into one of the areas in which I speak today. But um, it's something that needs to be done. And I need I need I need this for myself because as both a parent to children and as a child to parents, this is hard for me. Like I struggle. I struggle a lot with being. A good dad. Like, I wanna, be, I wanna be awesome. I wanna be the best dad that I can be. That when I take my children and I present them before God on Judgment Day, that I would say, God, I did my best to raise your children in a way that they would honor you. Like, I, I desire that with all of my heart, but I stink at doing it. And as, as much as I wanna be the best child to my parents, uh, I realize, man, there's, there's just things in my heart that make it difficult for me to be that. I'm talking about today what it means to be a, a parent a, along the lines of scriptural wisdom and what it means to be a child who lives out the biblical ethic in terms of what a wise child looks like. And I realize as I'm preparing this, I'm learning so much of it because I don't live so much of it. And so the question is, can I talk? what authority do I have to talk about these things? Well, the reality is I don't really, which is, uh, well, well. I don't know what you think about that, but here's, here's the reasoning. My professor in seminary told me, should or told us, should we preach only on the things that we are living out? If that's the case, then we would be preaching far fewer sermons, <laughs> and the sermons would be far shorter than they are. But there are things that we need to hear as a church, isn't there? are things that we need to hear as a world, as a people of God living in the world, that quite frankly, we don't have a corner on it when it comes to obedience. We struggle through and so, what I want to present to you is just my honest self to say, okay, here's what the Word of God is going to say. I struggle to do it. I'm trying to do it. I want to do my best to do it, and probably so are we all together in this. But how can we live out our calling as parents and as children in the world that God, to, God has called us to live in? There are over 50,000 books on Amazon. If you Google... Parenting books. I'm not Google. If you am on Amazon, you search parenting books. Fifty thousand results will show up. If you type in Christian parenting books, ten thousand hits will come up. What new thing do we have to add to this? Nothing new. What we're going to do is look at ancient wisdom, right, from the source that I think is more valuable than a million. Amazon books combined. We're going to look into the teachings of Scripture from the wisdom of Proverbs. Hearing from Solomon, you remember Solomon, this cat had 700 wives. He had a lot of kids, so he knew a thing or two about parenting. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 22. Whether he did it well or not, he gives us some good insight. So, we're going to look at several verses today. We're going to start at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, and then we're going to look at verse 15, and we're going to flip through uh, several different passages here to try and gain a little bit of wisdom as it relates to the call. I Again, I can't say everything about anything or you'll end up hearing nothing. And so I just want to give us a couple things that we can hang our hats on and we can walk out of here feeling like, I, okay, I think I can take this with me. Proverbs 22.6, a thought first for parents and then a thought for children. Okay, here's the first thing. Uh, train a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not turn from it. Train a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. Here's the first thought for parents. The goal, your goal as a parent is to raise wise children. That's our goal. As parents, as pre-parents Tuck this in the back of your mind. My goal as a parent, my goal as an aunt, my goal as an uncle, as a spiritual parent is I am trying to raise wise children. You know how in different cultures, okay, in different cultures we value different things as parents. Right? The goal of a parent in different cultures is different based on where you grow up, around the society in which you live. In Asian cultures, and again, not everyone here is Asian, but a lot of us are. In Asian cultures, what we prize is a studious and a smart child in order that they might be successful when they go to work. Right? That's what we prize. That's why we Oh, you gotta study, you gotta do all, you gotta you know, make the grade, you gotta get into that, that, that college in order that you can get a good grade. We long for our children to be smart. And for Asian people, whether you go to church or not, whether you're a follower of Christ, whatever religion you, uh, you profess, the reality is that for a lot of Asian parents, that's what we value. We value smarts. In the Netherlands, and I I did a little bit of study, I didn't specifically study, but I studied the internet and I read this study that said, in the Netherlands, okay, any of you, I don't know if any of you are Dutch here, but in the Netherlands, one of the things that parents prize is uh, not smartness. In fact, they surveyed all of these parents and they asked them, what words would you use to describe your child? I think for many Asian parents, the word we might describe is smart (laughs) because we value that. We want them to be, whether they are or not, we want them to be smart. But in the Netherlands, the word they use, the word smart, shows up only one out of every ten parents. Isn't that crazy? What do people in the Netherlands, what do parents in the Netherlands value? Here's what they value. They value physical well-being, physical health. The physical health of the child matters. The goal of parenting is to raise a physically healthy child. And so, the things that matter are: Are you sleeping? Are you eating? And is your environment a physically uh, environment physically conducive to your health? Is it safe? Is the air quality index good? These are things that parents in the Netherlands value. Isn't that wild? Like, if you're not uh, from the Netherlands, if you're not Dutch, you're like, dude, that's kind of strange, but they probably think Asian people are strange. You value being smart in a kid? That's wild. Very interesting. In Spain, okay, uh, in, in Spain, one of the things that they value above Everything else is that the child becomes a socially responsible and socially savvy human being. That's why they say they will let their kids stay up until 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, hanging out with other people. Hey, don't you worry that you're going to miss school? Well, school's not that important. What matters to us is that they're able to interact socially, to have social standing, to make friendships, to be able to talk with other people. That's why when you go to certain Spanish places, Spanish-speaking places, you say the city here, never sleeps. You drive through town at 2 in the morning and you've got people hanging out, not just adults, but you've got children hanging out because parents in Spain, and I don't know if this affects every Latino culture, but in Spain in particular, they value the fact that their children are able to interact socially with other people. What your goal is as a parent will determine how you parent. Well, the Bible tells us a different story. What does the Bible tell us? What is the goal of parenting according to Scripture, according to the wisdom of the book of Proverbs? Here it is, verse 6. It says, train your child, train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. The way in Proverbs, there's two ways. There's a way of wisdom, there's the way of folly. Train a child in the way of wisdom, and he won't turn from it when he's old. What does the book of Proverbs say? The goal of good parenting is, the goal of biblical parenting is, it's that you cultivate, you raise a child who's able to be wise so that they can live a life of wisdom in the world in which we're called to live. Over and above everything else, that's what the wisdom writers say we ought to be doing as parents, not a smart child only, okay, that's important, not a physically healthy child only, not a successful Nobel Prize winner, not uh, the valedictorian of Harvard or whatever school. These things may be helpful, may be important, but the more important thing, like what good is it for them to gain all these things but forfeit their soul? Because the most important thing is that we raise children of wisdom, the beginning point of which is the fear of the Lord the most important thing that He's calling us to as parents. Why? Well, Proverbs 22 verse 15 tells us, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will drive it far from Him. The reason God gave parents to children is because bound up within the heart of a child is this thing called folly. And if we don't do something about it, then a child is going to grow and continue on a path of foolishness. Ever do anything foolish in your life? Probably all of us have. And you look, at, you look back at your life and you realize, man, when I was six years old, I did some really stupid things. You look back on that and you see that. But when you were six, it seemed really smart to you. It seemed like a great idea, didn't it? And, and, and now you look back at something you did when you were 10 years old or when you were 12 years old or maybe some of you are 30 years old and you look back at that choice you made when you were 20 years old and you're like, holy cow, that was really stupid. I can't believe I dated that guy or I can't believe I liked that girl or I can't believe I, I stole that thing or I can't believe I lit that home on fire. Whatever it is that you did when you were young, you look back on that and you're like, wow, that was really stupid. Here's what that means according to Tim Keller, that at every point in your life, you look back and you say, you know what, I did some really stupid things. What that means is right now, some of the things that you think are so smart and wise, you're going to look back in future you is going to look back at, that, at this time and say, you know what? I was really dumb. I was really dumb to do that. What's the point? The point is because we are foolish people, God has given us parents to lead us in the way. Parents, that's why God has given that role to you as you raise not your children, but these are God's children. As we raise God's children, he is stewarding, we are stewarding them for God. He says, I'm entrusting them to you for these years that you have been entrusted with them. You'll give them back to me one day. And the goal that I have for you is that you would help them to be wise. Because right now, man, they do some really foolish things. I think of all the foolish things I've done in my life, and I don't want to talk about them because it will make me sad right now, but we do a lot of foolish things. And so what does God say? How do we, how do we deal with the foolishness? Well, there's a couple ways, a couple things that we do, and these are two things, just of, of many, 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 many things that the Bible and that Proverbs says. But here are two things that parents can do. Number one, um, discipline. Discipline. Because we're children are foolish, parents are to discipline them. Look, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. The reason God calls us to discipline our children is to drive the folly from that child. Here's what discipline does and does not do. Discipline pushes foolishness and wickedness away from a child. It does not cultivate goodness within them. In other words, uh, discipline deals with the negative, with the folly. It doesn't pour into them the positive. You can't correct children in discipline. You cannot discipline children into good behavior. You can only discipline them out of the negative behavior. This is what Scripture is saying. And so because we're prone by nature to do things that are foolish and wicked and evil and sinful and hurtful, discipline drives that away from us. In uh, Proverbs 13, 24, one of the more famous and controversial passages of Scripture, Proverbs 13, 24, this is what it says. It says, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Most, well, I, I don't know about most, but many people would interpret the rod to mean physical punishment, right? Correction. We've got to spank them. In Korean, we've got to give them the memme time. You've got to spank them in order to discipline them. And then there's some who say, well, you know, when Jesus is the good shepherd, Psalm 23, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It's a little bit of a different picture. I, Either way, should you spank, should you not, I think that uh, requires a lot of wisdom. I think there's a place for it, uh, and I think that uh, not everyone should because you have to know uh, uh, discipline ought never be done in anger um, because then discipline… Many parents, can I tell you, in the name of Proverbs thirteen twenty four, have abused their children. I'm only doing this because the Bible says, spare the rod, I'll spoil the child. And therefore, I'm going to discipline you, and I'm going to discipline you. And sometimes in their anger, parents have gone too far. And there are times where children who say, my Bible-believing, Scripture-memorizing, Scripture-quoting parents beat me in this way. Therefore, when they grow up, they say, I want nothing to do with a God who would sanction that kind of abuse against my poor life. You gotta understand, you can discipline, you must discipline, but in love, not in anger. You also have to know your child, right? Some children respond well to physical discipline, others don't. I I remember uh, when I was a kid, I had this uh, Superman comic book. And it was, a, it was kind of the origin story of Superman with Clark Kent, and, and it had Clark Kent going to, the, um, going to the doctor and getting a shot, and the doctor's like frustrated because all the needles break on Superman's arm. He's like, gosh darn it, that's the fifth hypodermic needle I've broken on your arm. And, and Clark is like, try again, Doc, it's really funny. But there's this one point where I guess little Clark Kent had done something bad, and so his parents had to spank him, and his parents said, and, and this might go over some of our heads, but as, as dad was spanking Clark Kent, he Said, trust me, this will hurt me more than it hurts you. <laughs> Spanking Superman is not going to do much in the way of teaching him something. Maybe a better discipline for. Little Clark Kent would be putting him in timeout in a kryptonite-filled room. I don't know what it would look like, but you have to understand. I, I had a friend who said, you know, when our kids are out of line, one time in our lives, we spank them. After that, whenever we threaten, do you want to get a spank? They straighten up, right? Some kids respond well to that. Other kids don't. Other kids get really angry and are driven. it's a wedge that's driven further between you and your child. A lot of it has to do with your motivation. A lot of it has to do with your emotion. A lot of it has to do with are you flying off the handle? Are you beating them? Are you doing child abuse? Are you yelling at them as you do that? Or do they know that this is coming from a place of loving discipline? Folly bound up in the heart of a child. Discipline drives it away. But what that discipline looks like in each particular family, in each particular child, it's gonna be different. If I if I sin against my parents, they're not gonna take out a stick and start beating me, not at this age. But there would be something else that maybe need to be. I don't know if you discipline a 40-some-year-old man. But I mean, it looks different for every person, and we need to figure that out. We need to prayerfully consider, talk in community with each other and think about what that looks like. But discipline must happen in order to drive the folly out of a child. But the second thing, the second thing that parents can do, and again, many, many things, but the second thing is we parent by example, not only discipline but example. Proverbs uh, chapter 20, verse 7. Here's what it says. It says, the righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. The example that you lead for your children is the shelter on which your children, under which your children are walking. It's an example that uh, that you said. Any person of influence, any teacher, any parent has probably heard this. They say more, much more will be caught by your example than taught by your words. In other words, you will teach people what you know, but you will reproduce what you are. Because our kids, whether they want to or not, will follow our example. Whether they know it or not, are becoming in large parts who... You are as a parent. So here's what he says, the the importance, the absolute vital uh, importance of the example that you set, says the righteous man leads a blameless life after him, man, your kids are going to be blessed. That's powerful. What do you do when hardship comes, when pandemic strikes, when you're with your kids 24-7? Do you become a better person? Do you become a worse person? Obviously, most of us will become worse people. But when you realize that, do you get bitter, upset, angry, caustic, mean, intolerant? Or do you grow out of that? Do you repent? Are you quick to say sorry and, hey, let's make this better? In times of challenge, do you panic or do you pray? What do you do? Do you pout? Or do you praise? Do you worry? Do you worship? Because by and large, what you do as parents, not only parents, as teachers, as house church shepherds, as leaders, as disciple makers, as mentors, how you respond is the path that you're carving, creating, making for those who come behind you. Blessed are the children of the righteous whose walk is blameless. They find blessing. In that place, uh, the example that we live, the discipline that we give helps foolishness give way to wisdom in the lives of people. Here's what it says, the righteous man leads a blameless life, blessed are his children after him. Obviously, not a blanket promise because there are a lot of people who are godly men and women whose children have fallen off the beaten path of Christianity. Christianity. It's not a blanket promise. You and I know people like this. Sometimes, isn't it interesting, sometimes the godliest children have the most ungodliest of parents. There's something weird about that in in God's gracious economy. On the flip side, sometimes the best, most godly parents seem to have the most wayward children. Sometimes it doesn't seem to make sense. There's no promises here. It's just general principles. What God is saying is it's a lot easier for us as parents to want to force our children to become godly people, but he's saying what's more important is that you become a godly person yourself. It's easier for me to tell you what to do than for me to do the hard work of putting that to practice in my own life. And it's easy for parents to say, you need to do this, and the kid says, you're not doing that, mom and dad. Don't do what I say. Don't do what I do. Do what I say. It's easy to say that. God says, you being a godly parent is a whole lot more important than you trying to force your children to become what you're not. To say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Here, here's the thing. This is, a long, this is a long process of parenting. One of my uh, most influential people in my life, he would always say to me, um, it's a long discipleship. Don't judge your child by where they are in this moment in time right now. Because in this moment they may be wayward, but tomorrow they can come back. This is at a practical level, this is what he said. When if you're if you're seeking to be the best parent you can, faithfully praying, living out the call of God, if your children are going astray, he said, Don't worry. <laughs> he said, Don't worry. God could bring them back at any moment. That's all it takes. One day, bam, that's all it takes. But then he said, but this is what I also tell people. I say, if your children are doing great, if they're walking with the Lord, if they're walking well, if they're doing everything great, um, and you think you can coast from here on out because it'll always be that way, he said, then you've got to worry. Not worry, but be moved out of your complacency and keep on fighting and keep on praying because at any second they could go the other way too. You know this. This is you. This is me. This is your children. These are your parents. These are people that you know. These are people who sat in Sunday school class with you. At any moment, they could go one way or the other. Don't judge them in the middle of their story. It's a long obedience. It's a long discipleship as parents. We've got to know that. And always we need to be intentional. It's not just about surviving until they get to college. We've got to be intentional. This is what we do. And it's not just the role of a mother. Here it says, "Hey, the righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him throughout the book of proverbs, it n- never for a second does it say, Hey, parenting, right, Godly parenting, wise parenting, christian parenting that 's mama 's job daddy's job is to bring home the bacon. It never says that in fact." It was never like that. You don't see that in the pages of Scripture, not in a positive example at least. It's always mom and dad. You see that throughout the book of Proverbs. Listen to your dad, follow your mom. Listen to your dad, follow your mom. It's both. But it wasn't until, and you hear Paul Tripp, Tim Keller, they both say this, the Industrial Revolution when jobs were no longer in the home. It wasn't just agricultural farming. When dad had to go, when father had to go, when husband had to go outside to work, in the factories, in the, in, the, in the mills, wherever it is, when he left home to work and then came back, he said, you know what? I did all that. You take care of the kids. It's a product of this industrialized world in which we live, but this is not the product of Scripture. Can I tell you, men of faith, men of God, we need to rise up into our calling to not outsource this, not only outsource, insource this, to just say, Mom, you got to do this. Like dads have to be, have to be absolutely vital in the disciple-making process, in the wisdom-rearing process of our children. This is not mom's job to do this. So when you see uh, moms taking their kids to church while dad is out doing whatever he's doing, that's not a biblical picture of discipleship, of child-rearing, of parenting. The role and the goal of a parent, both now and in the future, it's always been this way. Our goal is that we raise wise children. This is the first thing that we see here. Second thought for children. Now you can awaken if you're not a parent here. Okay, the second thought is is for all of us who are children. This can mean children who are 10, 12, 14 years old or for all of us who still have parents. The goal, okay, of a child is to honor your parents to honor your parents. Okay, that's from God's 10 things that he said this is this is how the world is set in motion, 10 things that you should and should not do in the 10 commandments. He says one of them is to honor your parents. See, this is challenging because especially as as our view of parents our parents changes through the years when you're when you're like a baby you don't know anything mom is everything dad you hear his voice and okay maybe dad is is the second best thing but mom is is definitely the ultimate but as you grow you begin and you begin to, to learn and you begin to have a view and a sense of the world at about four years four years old you begin to say you know what my mom and dad they know everything they know everything my dad can beat your dad up my mom is can cook better than, they're they're everything But once they get to about, well, six years old, first grade or so, they begin to realize, well, mom and dad know a lot of things. They know a lot of things. When they hit about eight years old, that's when kids begin to realize mom and dad don't know everything. (laughs) There are certain things that, did you know? Definitely when you get to fifth grade, we realize we're not smarter than a fifth grader, and our fifth grader understands that also. And they're like, how come you don't know those things? When they become preteens, about 12 or 14, they're like, you know what? Mom and dad really don't know much. <laughs> when they're 16, they're like, mom and dad don't know anything. 17, it's like, who are mom and dad? Who is mom and dad? And they go off to college, and things begin to change. Your heart begins to change. Maybe, hopefully, it does. Or maybe it never went away. Then you get to adulthood, start graduating or get out of college, you, you're, you're working, and you've got to start paying the bills. And you realize, holy cow, this thing called being an adult is really difficult. I don't know how my parents did it. And then you begin to realize in your mid-20s, you know what? Mom and dad knew something after all. you Get to about 30, like, you know, I don't know how to do this. Maybe I should ask mom and dad get to about 35, 40, I'll ask mom and dad. They know a lot more than I do. And at a certain point in life, a certain point in life, we say, you know what, I wish, I wish that I could ask my mom and dad. Our view of parenting changes through the years. But one thing that God said from the beginning, okay, from the beginning, our call never changes. It looks different through the years, but our call is to honor our father and our mother. What does it mean to honor? Here's what it means. Very simply, it means to give weight to them, to value them, to esteem them, to treat them. And, and, And the word honor is used of a distinguished individual. It's to see your parent, and to treat them as such. Here, here's a cool thing about the call to honor your parents. Um, it, it doesn't always mean we obey them. Right? The, the 10th commandment does not say obey your parents. It says to honor them. A lot of times that means obey them, especially when we're children. In, in the book of Ephesians 6, it says, Obey children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But the word children in that context is little children. As little children, honoring our parents usually means we obey them insofar as they're in keeping with what the Lord teaches us. But what God says in the Ten Commandments is we honor our parents. We give them value. Because the thing about honor is it has nothing to do with how we feel. This is huge, guys. Honor is given, right? Respect is earned, Respect is earned. Honor is given. It's a choice that you make. You meet somebody, you don't know anything about them, but they say, oh, you know what, this person is a, he's a CEO, and you honor them. You're like, oh, my gosh, you're a great person. Or, Hey, this person is a, you don't you know nothing about them, but someone says blah, 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 blah about them, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I, and you honor them. Honor is something you give. Respect must be earned. But honor your parents, whomever it is. That's a choice that you make to say, I will value them. I will value them. This is what it says, Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. What does it mean to honor them? It says, Proverbs 10, 1, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son, grief to his mother. Here's what it means to honor them. If the goal of parenting is to raise wise children, then the goal of children... Is to honor our parents. The way that we do that is by seeking to live a life of wisdom. This is what it means to honor our parents at a biblical level. It's a choice that we make to seek to do that because, and here's what we don't often understand as children. A lot of times we say, you know what, I'm old enough to make my own decisions. Have you ever said that? I remember saying that to my parents when I was a teenager. It's like, don't, why, how are you telling me what to wear or where to go? I'm old enough to make my own decisions. How foolish was I to say such a thing, but I thought I was. My own decisions, these impact me, myself, and I, and nobody else. That's what I thought. Where do we hear things like that? We hear that in an individualistic culture. But listen to what he says again in, in verse 1, chapter 10. He says, a wise son brings joy to his father. Ancient Near Eastern fathers not prone to show any joy. That's why the truth uh, the parable of Luke 15, the the wayward son who goes off into the distant country and the father runs after him, that is completely unheard of in the ancient Near East. No father would do that. To run, he had to pick up his 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 clothing, exposing usually his undergarments, and to run, you never see a father in the in, in the Middle East in those days run. To hug a child never happened. That's what he's saying is the un the just the, the incomprehensible joy of our father in heaven when a wayward son comes home to him. It doesn't make sense to our listening ears. That's the picture of the ancient Near Eastern. But what he's saying here is when you're wise as a child, you bring that stoic father joy. But when you walk off the path of wisdom, the mother that you love so much, the one who is emotional, a foolish son brings grief to his mother. You may have heard that a mother, a parent, can only be as happy as the most unhappiest child that they have. It's probably true in a lot of ways. You could have ten kids, nine of them could be killing it, But if one son, one daughter is wayward, uh, that will affect the level of happiness that a parent has. You understand this as children, like your life is not just an isolated life that I live, I do whatever I want to do, I text whoever I want to do, I send whatever I want to send, I join whatever group I want to, it's not just about you. Do you understand that the heart of a parent is that when you're walking in wisdom, they find joy. When you're walking in folly, it breaks their heart. Last night at SNF, Saturday Night Fellowship for Our Youth, um, two of our house church shepherds, um, Hiroshima Michelle and Taiwan Matt, uh, shared their journey of how God was real in their lives. Man, it was, I was sitting back there with my mask on, but there were several times where I was just, man, I was just like moved, moved to tears at God's goodness and His grace. And just, how goodness was running after their lives. So powerful. One of the things that Matt shared um, was when he was walking on the path of folly, had strayed from the call of God in his life. Um, and I asked Matt if I could talk about some of, some of the things that he shared just because he said it and it's out there. But after college, um, he was living a life of, of drugs, of alcohol, illicit relationships, just things in the wayward, wayward path. And uh, certain, certain weeks would be like five out of seven days out of the week, he'd be like drinking, getting, getting, getting slammed, going to bars. And he said one of the, the most vivid and salient uh, memories that he had was one day he was going out. And, and you can hear Matt share this, but you could hear his mom share this story also, and you'll get two completely similar stories but different perspectives. And one night as, as Matt was going out to get drunk at the bar, she said, I want to go with you. I want to go with you, not to, not to judge you, not to get you to stop doing it, but I want to know. I want to know what you're feeling. As you're getting drunk, like as you're going to that bar to get something that you need, like I want to be there for you. And as Matt tells a story, he says, when she, I was ordering drink after drink after alcoholic drink and she was drinking her soda. He said, as as I looked at her eyes, I'll never forget, it wasn't condemnation, it wasn't judgment. It was just sadness over the life that I was living. Children who have parents, your life affects their lives so much more than you know. So much more than you know. I can't tell you how many times parents will, at least the parents I know, that's Olive and myself, how many times we will show ourselves to just the two of us things that we don't show our kids. The brokenness that we feel over the situation. And they're young. They're not getting drunk. They're not doing drugs. But their hearts, their attitude, their waywardness. You as children affect your parents in such deep and profound ways. God says, remember, give value, give weight to your parents. How do you do that? Three areas. I just want to just touch and go. Three areas that you can give weight and value to honor your parents. One, honor their words. Give weight to their words. This is um, in chapter 6, Proverbs 6, verse 20. Uh, It says, my son... Keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. The, the picture that you have here is that father's commands and mother's teachings are part and parcel of who they are. It's not just a disconnected, I'm just telling you what I want to tell you because this is just what I think I should say. But this is part of life. Like I have lived this, I have seen this, I've experienced this, and therefore I'm bringing part of who I am out. And I'm putting it out there because I want you to live in a path of wisdom and to avoid the path of folly. This is why I say these things. It's not like you know, in Korean, they say it's jansori. I don't even know what that means. It just means like they're just talking, saying something for the sake of saying something. I've heard that over and over. A lot of times, we treat our parents' words like uh, they're a flight attendant. We're sitting on the plane, and they're like, blah, 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 blah. Buckle your seatbelt. Do this. Three masks. Come down. Put it on yourself before you put on your child. We're like, I've heard all this before. I don't need to hear this anymore. That's what we often do when we hear our parents saying things. But what he's saying is give weight to their words. Give value. Treat them with respect. Because what they say is they're giving a part of their lives to you. When he says, keep your father's commands, that means while you're living with them, when it says, do not forsake your mother's teaching, it means when you go out from their home, don't leave home without their teachings. As you leave your room behind, don't leave your mother's, don't forsake your mother's, don't abandon your mother's teaching in the home that you've left and go and live the life that you want to live apart. From the Word of God, that's what he's saying. This is how we honor our parents. We honor them by honoring their words. The first way to honor them. The second way to honor them. If you look in chapter twenty-two, uh, chapter twenty-three, we're going to look at a couple verses here. Proverbs twenty-three. Um, we're going to read verses twenty-two and twenty-five. Uh, but the second way we honor them, is we honor them as they age. As your parents get older so grows the need for them to be honored by their children. Proverbs 23, verse 22 and then 25 says, Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she's old. Verse 25, May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth rejoice. <laughs> Listen, do not despise when your mother is old. I think sometimes in our culture, that prizes health, that prizes upward mobility, that prizes what we bring to contribute to society. It's easy for people who are older to get pushed to the side. He's saying, let it not be so amongst the people of God. Let it be different amongst the people of God. Don't despise your parents when they're old. In other words, what he's saying is every day your parents get a day older. Every day we ought to be growing in how we honor our parents. One uh, father pushing 60 grown kids I remember in just this, this one moment of just sentimental vulnerability, he said, "You know, I just wish sometimes that my children uh, would call me on the phone." That's all he said, and then he acknowledged as much. I think the older I get, the more I just I miss my kids. The power of a phone call, of a letter, even if it's done as a duty, has a way of reprogramming our hearts too when we see how they would respond to what we do. Reaching out, loving, to care for them with our words, to care for them with our time as they get older to care for them with our finances, uh, to care for them with, hey, I'm door dashing you uh, some food, or I'm going to send you some Instacart um, because you live far away in order that you don't have to go out. Whatever you can do to honor your parents and to do so more as they age, they need it more and more as they get older. And then the last thing, um, last way to honor your, again, a million different ways you can talk about it in your house church, you can talk about it in your small groups, in your Bible study classes. But the last way is by honoring the gospel. Chapter 17, Proverbs verse 9, Proverbs 17, 9 says, He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. I know a lot of, probably all of us as children, have been offended by our parents. An offense has been done. Maybe they over-disciplined you to the point of abuse where it was no longer loving. Maybe they called you names. Maybe they said things about you that they shouldn't have said that damaged your psyche. Uh, Maybe there's things that you've been longing for your parents to say to you that they've never said. And you carry that. And you hold that, and a wall has been erected, so when you hear a message like you got to love your parents, you're like, I want to do that, but some, I keep running into this wall. That wall is probably bitterness, unforgiveness, that needs to come down in order for you to move towards those who you feel has, have offended you. He says here, when you cover over an offense, it promotes love. A lot of us in here, um, this goes both ways. We're both children to our parents and we're parents to our children. And I know, man, this is hard. Like, parenting has a way of helping you to understand your parents in a way that you've never understood them before. They say the word, well, they don't say, but the word diaper, if you rearrange the words, uh, the letters, it spells the way word repaid. That means when you're changing your baby's diapers, you're being repaid for all of the crap that you gave to your parents. It goes around, it comes around, it comes back to us. But I realize, I wanna love Jesus. Like as a man, as a husband, as a dad, as I wanna love Jesus, I really do. I wanna honor him with my life. I wanna love my kids with everything within me, For Manny, Elijah, Elise, I pray for them all the time, I wanna love them, I wanna tell them I love them, I wanna show that to them. But inevitably, there have been times Almost every day where I do something that gets them upset, makes them cry. That was, I was just joking. I didn't mean to throw you that hard. Or I didn't mean to say that whatever it was, there are things that I do, and, and, and they end up crying. And I'm like, oh, gosh, what do I did? don't you understand? They don't understand. They don't. Sometimes it's, I have no idea what I did. Other times it's, dang it, I messed up because daddy's a sinner. Kids, daddy's sorry. I'm sorry, for, I'm sorry for yelling at you in my anger. I'm sorry for not listening to what you said when he said, she said, and for believing him first. I'm sorry for, uh, for coming home later than I said I was going to come home. There are things that I do that just, yeah, it hurts them. Even though that's not the intent of my heart. And I would venture to say that the great majority of parents are like that also without any ill intent. We've been hurt by our parents also. Sometimes it's innocuous and innocent, but other times it's because, you know what, mom and dad are broken too. Your mom and dad have needs too. We have idols also of respect, of control, of order, of being loved, of being listened to, whatever those idols are. And we dysfunctionally live those out. We are broken people trying to parent broken people in the way of Christ. And there's hurt and there are tears along the way. But perhaps in understanding our parents a little bit more, and understanding the gospel, we can see, man, when you, when you repeat that offense and keep on saying, mom and dad, remember when you did this, remember when you did this, remember when you did this, it separates close friends. What would that do in driving a wedge to a family? But when you cover on over an offense, it promotes love and it brings healing and it brings hope that our better days are yet ahead of us. There's a section in many weddings after the husband and wife have been pronounced and officially married after their vows where they will go and they will exit the altar and they will honor their parents. Give value, give weight to their parents. They'll hug them. A lot of times there's a lot of tears because they love their parents so much or because there's been brokenness, but, hey, I want a new start. One of the first uh, couples that I officiated the wedding for, uh, very difficult relationship between the man and his parents. Uh, A lot of pain, a lot of brokenness. Hey, what do you think you learned from your parents' marriage? I learned everything what not to do. So I want you to really pray about your relationship with your parents. And I said, uh, "Would you write a letter to your to your mom and dad? Maybe you know, if you choose to, you can give it to them. But just thanking them for raising you, because look at you—you you are a wonderful man who loves the Lord God, who's serving faithfully, involved in the church. You're doing a great work. You've married. You're marrying an amazing young lady. This is—they did something, right? Something." So he wrote this letter right before the wedding. He's like, man, this letter was the hardest thing for me to write. Wrote it, did it, gave it to them at the honoring of parents. Went away, honeymoon, came back. A few weeks after they'd been married, just catching up, how's married life, how's everything, else? your honeymoon, how's all the stuff of life, what are some of the gifts that you received? And they're talking about the gifts, and I like this and that. And, and the guy said, um, best gift I got um, was that letter. I was like, I thought you, I thought you gave that letter. And he said, I I gave that letter to my parents, and they read it. And what happened after that has been the greatest gift, far better than what I could imagine, far better than I could have asked for. there was healing, there was forgiveness, there was understanding, there was love, there was affection for the first time. The greatest gift was when I honored my parents, there was healing in our relationship as I told them that I loved them, I thanked them, and I forgave for whatever wrong they may have done and asked for that on, from, their, from their side as well. Something powerful happens when we remember the gospel because we all need it because there's no perfect child and there's no perfect parent. Not on this earth at least, but not the fear, there is one, and he's your father. He's your father who looked at you in your brokenness and in your folly. And he said, I cannot sit back and watch this happen. And he sent his one and only son. The perfect son. Perfect obedience. The only one who would do that. And 2,000 years ago, he took the rod not of correction, but the rod of absolute condemnation that all of us deserve for the wages of sin is death, but in its place He gave the gift of God, which is not only eternal life, but its adoption as sons and daughters of the perfect Father in heaven. When you begin to understand this, guys, when you begin to understand this, I don't need to be perfectly loved by my parents in order to honor them and to respect them and to love them because there is a love that flows through me that is poured into my life far bigger and better than any other love. You You don't need to have everything in order to be the perfect parent because you know. I don't need my kids to give me the things I'm looking for because I've got that from heaven. I've got that from my Father. And in exchange, what he says is, I give you the resources to be the child that you need to be, to be the parent that you need to be when we hear the words of this son. And this is what Jesus says to all the children who were rejected. He says, let the little children come, come, come. Every one of you rejected by your parents, come to me, come to me, come to me. I will love you like no other. And what he says to the parents broken, guilty, tired, stressed, weary, feeling like failures. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That's his gracious invitation to us. Parent, child, whomever you are, we come to Jesus. We find what we need in order to be who he's called us to be. Let's pray together. This morning, um, the invitation of Jesus is simple. It's just to to do a a simple dance with Jesus, a two-step dance. First step, he says, come to me. Bring your baggage, bring your hurt, bring your disappointment, bring your failures, bring your fears, bring your tears, bring your mess-ups, bring your guilt, bring all of that stuff. Bring it to me. Let me heal, let me touch, let me move in you, let me fill you, let me satisfy you with a love, with a respect, with a longing that no child could ever give, with a love that no parent could ever give. Come to me, first step, second step, as you receive. What does it look like for you to re-engage in your relationship with your children, with your parents? What one step will you make today? Some of you haven't called your parents in a long time because you're so angry at the hurt that they've brought to you. Could you take that step to say, I miss you. I just wanted to hear your voice in your heart because you've been forgiven to forgive them so that a renewed relationship could potentially happen. May or may not to know that you've honored the Lord in so doing. Maybe for some of you, you have your, your habit is to go into your room and just close the door, get on your phone. What about for this week? For those hours that you're together, put the phone away, re-engage, re-emerge out of your cave and spend time with your parents. Maybe for some of us as parents is to put away the phone so that we can hear our kids Tell us about the things that we don't really care about but that matter so much to them. We don't hear them when they share about what matters to them. They won't hear us when we share about what matters to us. Let's take one step. First to Jesus. And then let's pray that we take that second step towards our family. Biological family, spiritual family. Friends, relationships, neglected, whatever that might look like. Let's spend a couple minutes praying like that together. Can we do that? Let's come to Jesus. Let's find resources so that we can move towards our our family members. Let's pray for a minute. Father in heaven there's uh, something so beautiful about the family so breathtakingly beautiful about the family power to give life and to nurture give hope and strength there's also that same kind of power to scar to wound to hurt it's true of our earthly biological families true of our spiritual families we don't want to be lax though we don't want to coast we don't want to cruise control we want to be intentional about redeeming the biblical picture of a family that's healthy and wise as parents help us to seek to raise wise children by godly discipline and by setting an example and say, follow me as I follow Christ. For children to honor our parents, to do that well, honoring, valuing, giving weight to their words increasingly as they age, giving weight to the gospel. Lord, where forgiveness is necessary, help us to forgive because we've been forgiven. We're asking for forgiveness is needed. May we find strength in the presence of the one who knows all of our failures. We've been outed at the cross Being real with you, we find strength to be real with others. Ultimately, for the healing of our families and for the blessing of those around us. We thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. May we love now out of an overflow of that love in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.